Hey everybody, welcome to No Guitar Is Safe, episode 27. Thanks for listening. I hope you're doing great. Hope the guitar's been treating you well, and vice versa. My name is Jude Gold, and I'm super excited because I'm about to plug in with Pete Thorne. People have been asking for Pete to be on the show. Finally, he's here. He's such an inspiring cat. He really inspires professional guitarists and also inspires people who are hoping to become professional guitarists because he does it so well. Yes, we're going to jam, but of course, I'm also going to hear his story. I love this. Like, how does it happen? You know, all those years ago, a kid from Edmonton, Canada, sitting there, a neighbor comes over or whatever, shows him a couple power chords on the guitar. Fast forward to the present, and man, he's played lead guitar for Don Henley, Melissa Etheridge, Chris Cornell, and now he's on tour with Michel Polnareff in France, hitting like every city in that great country. This singer's huge. This guy sold millions of records. Pete's also played with Mylene Farmer out there. She sold 30 million records. It's all crazy. So I'm excited to sit down with him. Right off the bat, he shows us his incredible new pedal board, the centerpiece of which, the center of his whole rig, really, is this Helix system from Line 6, who sponsored today's episode. And it was very cool because they let us come over to Line 6 headquarters into their secret room. Man, this is like going into Aladdin's cave. You go over into this room. It's up here in, in uh, it's up just north of L.A. And wow, man, Aladdin's cave, just treasure. All these vintage amps, you're just like salivating. Perfect specimens in perfect condition of Fender Tweeds, Old Marshalls, Oranges, High Watts. I mean, naturally, you would expect to find that at the company that has pioneered amp modeling. And they're celebrating their 20th anniversary, so I think that's one reason they wanted to have us over, and they sponsored this episode, too. Congratulations on 20 years, Line 6, and especially congratulations to Line 6 for Helix. I mean, this system, they have upped their game so heavily, but more importantly than that, they have improved your life. I'm serious. With this kind of a unit, it's it's a game changer. It's kind of like a UFO landed at your feet and just made your life better. Whatever scenario you play guitar in, this thing adapts to you and can do anything. For instance, if you play with a 100-watt tube head, as Pete Thorne does, and you want to use your own tube sounds and occasionally call in some amp models, but you also want to use all the different effects that are on Helix, and you want to use it to control the channel switching and MIDI changes and all that, and then you also want to use, say, four different effects pedals because it has four separate effects loops that you can call in and out. It works perfectly. It's kind of like having a custom system wired by like a LA amp guru, but now you can do everything from one thing. But that's just one scenario. What if you like playing direct into the PA? It's perfect for that. It has so many different cab emulations and mic placement stuff. Or if you're like hardcore tweaker and you want to bring in your own impulse responses, you know, your own IRs, float them in via USB. You can change the order of all the effects. I just love this thing for recording too. Man, it's just so great straight into your digital audio workstation. Your DAW just kicks ass. It's super easy to get two different amp chains going too, kind of like you would in a studio if you were recording a classic rock album. Usually there might be two amps at once or two cabinets, whatever. Get the full stereo shebang. Super easy to use it as an input driver into Logic or Pro Tools. And then you also have a third channel, which is just the guitar direct, which I, you know, recommend you capture that in case you ever want to reamp, send that thing out of your system back through a tube amp. See what I mean? It just adjusts to whatever you want to do. 
It's like they really thought about how can we make your life better and make this thing work for you and you're not working for it. It just, it reminds me kind of of like when the iPhone came out, it uh, made every other cell phone previous to it seem kind of clunky because like the Helix, it just unifies so many different technologies and puts them all at your service. And I'm just so, I'm so happy for Line 6. I have some friends over there like Matt Ferguson and Clint Ward and Dale Wagler. And so it's kind of personal too. I'm just really glad to see this, this epic achievement. Um, there's just so much about this thing. I may, I, I'll tell you a little bit more about it later, but let's get back to Pete Thorne and get this show going. Pete Thorne, the guitar nerd. I call him a guitar nerd there because that's a song from his album, Guitar Nerd, that came out a few years ago. His solo record. So much killer stuff on there. The album cover is great. Yes, that's Pete on the cover. I didn't know that until this interview, but I'll put a picture of that up on the No Guitar is Safe Facebook page, as well as some other stuff from our interview. Thanks to Guitar Player Magazine and GuitarPlayer.com for supporting this show. And yeah, let's let's get, let's grab the copter, man. Let's get over there. Let's plug in with Pete. And before I forget, make sure you check out Pete's YouTube channel because he just does the killer gear demos all kinds of great gear and there's a great gear demo on there that he made of line six helix that you got to check out and sheesh enough said right let's go so yeah let's buzz on over to line six world headquarters where pete is plugged into his signature model pt100 sir head that thing is driving a, a dream marshall cabinet a vintage cabinet in perfect condition that's in the line six collection there and um, he's playing a Sur guitar, the humbucker in the bridge, kind of like a Strat style Sur, but with the fat Thornbucker, which you'll hear about. I'm playing a Sur Telecaster. I figured I'd bring a Sur to you. I'm just going straight into a Helix and straight into a Line 6 Firehawk combo. Cool new thing, another cool new offering from Line 6. I think the, my guitar tone is just going direct into the Zoom recorder that I'm using to record the interview. Let's get over there. Thank you. 
Whoa! What was that shit? <laughs> I like Spanky that. Thorn in the house, dude. We're just warming up. We're yeah, man. Thanks for bringing in your rig. Yo, you get bonus points for bringing in like a real stage rig here. You got your Sur PT100 signature model. It's true. And you got your um, brand new pedal board. That, yeah, uh, yeah. Your yeah. channels are so amazing, like your YouTube channel and your Facebook, like especially if you're a guitar nerd, to quote the name of your album, your solo album. Thank you, thank you. Guitar nerds, look at your page, man. I just see all the questions and the conversations, and it's crazy. Like, you showed a picture of this the other day. Yeah. We're just looking at the backside and the beautiful wiring of this pedal board. Yeah, it's done uh, really, really tight. Uh, my buddy Dave Friedman at Rack Systems and, and the nice guys that work for him did it. And, uh, yeah, he's he's a he's a fan of the helix actually he's digging this thing from he, he's i think mine is the only one he's seen but so we should t we should describe what this thing is it's yeah. a it's a line six helix based pedal board the, there's a patch bay on the side of the board where all the patching happens and that kind of happens uh, over on the right side of the board here and that's where the guitar patches in and where all the connections happen between the amp and stuff and there's a uh, a really high quality buffer in that little box there and so that's nice so plug the guitar in there and everything goes through there first comes out of there and goes into a tuner and then from pretty much from there it hits the the helix and um uh, the helix uh of course has effects loops built in which is really nice because then you can integrate it with your amps effects loop and also you can integrate some stomp boxes into your rig because as guitar players we all have favorite stomps and stuff like that so so that's what really appealed to me about this device was how nice you can kind of integrate it with other pieces in your in your guitar playing arsenal such as my amp and stuff like that so and so you're also using that to control the channels or switch channels on your head right yeah exactly so it's a three channel amp and it's midi switchable so i can easily um just kind of bang between the clean channel here and you know channel two and channel three on the amp with just it's just sending out midi program change and doing that so yeah, so that's pretty nice. And when you first plugged in, I mean, it was instantaneously sounded just snarly, toothy, great distortion. With this amp? Yeah, the amp is, you know, it's it's got a killer clean channel, and and uh, and, and that sounds fantastic, but my real sort of like where I'm like home base or whatever was the tone you just heard me playing through, with, which is kind of Marshall, Plexi meets Super Lead meets JCM 800. <laughs> That, that sound is sort of where, I don't know, you know, I started playing guitar in like 1980 and that was just my... <laughs> well, that sizzle, like hit that E chord again. Yeah. You know. Exactly. 
You know, that's where it all comes exactly. from. Exactly. So. You can hear the highest strings sizzling through. They're, they don't get lost. I love that. That stringy kind of organic. Yeah. I don't know. There's this weird thing about that kind of distortion that to me, there's like an almost like organic, woody, almost like acoustic quality to it. And there's a cleanliness to it, even though it's dirty. It's distortion, but there's like this... Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it rings. It's got a bell tone it's to just it. Just the way I hear it, you know. But I'm with yeah. you on that. Now, um, you can call in also amp patches, like modeling patches from the Helix as well. Or? Yeah. So okay. So basically, the way I've got this board set up right now is channel one uh, on my amp is accessed by this preset right here. I've got um, some compression coming from this little Keeley limiter pedal here, and. <laughs> Sounds great. So yeah, so that sounds like that. That's channel one, um, and I can control the delay via this expression pedal. Or just take it out like that. And I got a bit of reverb happening there and stuff. So that's that sound. Now, as I hit uh, the third preset here, this is the channel two of my amp. Okay, so that's the obviously the sort of Marshall-inspired channel. This preset in the middle, though, here, I set up, and this is just yesterday I did this and set these up, but this, I'm using an AC-15 amp model in the Helix, and I'm actually running it, you know, it's going straight into the return of my amp. So this switches out the preamp on the PT-100, and now I can get this. You know, it's yeah. a, just a really cool kind of snarly EL-84 sound. You know, I get that thing going. So it's nice to be able to go from like the sort of, you know, uh, American sort of fendery, sparkly to this to this. Obviously, the sort of more ballsy L34 <laughs> thing. So integrating the the modeling thing with the amp and everything. So it's, it's fun. And that's great. And you get all your effects from there too, like all those cool delays and courses from the Helix. Yeah, the Helix does all that stuff yeah. ex extremely well. So it's um, so it's working out really good. I'm still just getting used to it, but um, this this is fun for me, you know, being able to... Uh, uh, a lot of people, you know, it's funny. They're like either in the modeling camp or in the purist camp. I'm sure you find that, right? Like people are like, oh, I would never play through a whatever, you know, like, you know, totally. other people are like, I've sold all my tube amps and I only use, you know, the whatever device, you know, and I'm all about getting the job done. You're all about getting the best of everything. <laughs> you get the best of both worlds. Yeah, like use it all, you yeah. know, and, and the, the, the cool thing about this board to me is that, now that I've sort of described the way it's working, switching my amp and stuff, if I had to go do a fly date or something or go to a session and it was like amp's not an option, you simply insert an amp and cab model into a preset where your real amp was. And the beauty of that is that, and this was the really exciting thing for me, your workflow will stay the same. So in other words, you can make a whole like, uh, you know, bank of presets that are strictly modeling ones and then you can make a yeah. whole bank of presets that are exactly the same except you're integrating your amp into them with the same sounds but using a real amp and you, you, all your button pushes and everything on this device and your expression pedal moves and all that stuff can stay the same that's pretty cool i think like Very kind of an unusual uh new way of thinking about devices like this so especially for a guy like you who 
travels all over the place. Well, and so do you. So do you, right? Like you. Uh, so, so what do you do when you travel? Like I was curious because you've been. You just got back from Finland yesterday. And yeah, dude. I, I don't so, know how. I don't know how I woke up for this because this is early for a musician. This is <laughs> right. eleven a.m., folks. We're here at line six. Yeah. In this awesome room. And First of all, look at these amps. You're surrounded by. Uh, it's incredible. They're That's listing true. them off. Old Blackface Deluxe, old Marshall Block Letters. High Watt. High Watts. Matchless. Oranges. <laughs> beautiful looking AC-15 or AC-30 there. I'm not sure. I can't it's tell. It's such a vibey room. And, you know, and, and the way it's, it's actually, I love studios like this that don't have right angles really all, you know, so so great for the sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This room sounds cool. So yeah. like we're here and you, you got yourself a nice basket weave old vintage Marshall cabinet that you're running your Sir head into. Yeah. So this is good. But yes, to answer your question... <laughs> I remember the alarm went off this morning because I, I was up for 48 hours coming back from Finland on three planes. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, the, the alarm didn't, it just became part of my dream. Yeah, was, yeah, I was just man. dreaming about it. But yes, I am here, man. This is great. Did you say you went to bed at like 1 a.m. in Finland, got up at 4 for a flight? <laughs> yeah, you didn't really, you don't really go to sleep. You play the show and then you got to go come back and pack and you know how it is. I was going to, I mean, yeah. yeah. how do you deal with all the lack of sleep and... How do you stay productive on the road when you're traveling so much? Because we're kind of like professional yeah. travelers who work for 90 minutes a night playing music. Right. So, well, I... Um, what are some of the things you do? Well, for instance, I actually took a small recording interface. I took my Apollo Twin from UA and uh, uh, to Japan when I was last there. And I actually made some videos when I was over there. Because it's like... In a way, it's kind of interesting. It's like, you know, if you got days off, you can do that. You can do it, work on it. The laptops are so powerful these days and stuff. Just bring a little hard drive, some good headphones. And, and it's kind of an interesting angle on, on, you know, the videos I make are, you know, basically demonstrations of guitar equipment. So I just thought, well, what can I do to sort of demo things in a hotel room? That, that's a real world reality for a lot of people when they're traveling. Uh, maybe, you know, like having a cool recording interface with some guitar amp modeling plugins, that might be a cool thing for people to, 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 to see me demonstrate while I'm on tour and actually doing it. So I try to come up with, I try to think outside the box. Like, how can I use this situation to my advantage? Like, I'm about to go to France for a while. And um, uh, Tim Pierce and I have been doing this uh, Tim and Pete's guitar show, our own sort of internet TV show. Very cool. And rather than sort of let that sort of derail the production of it, we're trying to come up with ways where, you know, maybe we can do like episodes where there's Skype calls where I'm on a big screen TV sitting there and he's like beside me and we're like having a back and forth and maybe interviewing somebody that's in the room with him, but I'm over overseas or whatever. Um, yeah. And uh, also, like, you know, do do some cool things while I'm over there and kind of integrate it into our show as well as continue making some video demos and stuff. Just ways to stay yep. productive. You're right. Because <laughs> what, what do you do when you're out there? Like, do, Well, do you... number one, if I'm in a new place I've never been, like Helsinki or Copenhagen, you yeah. got to explore. So right. definitely you lose right. a day or two there. But yeah, I'm with you, man. Like editing on the plane too. Yeah, you, like you can do a lot of editing and stuff. Pro, open Pro Tools or whatever. Absolutely, or, video editing movies. on a plane. Can, it's like if you're coming back from somewhere, you can edit that movie together. Like you're talking yeah. about, you can even do it on your iPhone with iMovie. You can put together a full-on movie clips. Page. And it's kind of a cool angle. Like I did this on my yeah. phone while I was in it. Still, and if if it's good, people are like, "Wow, that's cool!" And it also it almost makes it more interesting to watch than just here's me in my studio again doing the same thing over and over again. You know. Producing. So I, I, I try and think about it that way, like it's a positive. Having said what we just said, you're absolutely right. There's the balance, striking that balance when you're in Helsinki. Helsinki is a great city. It's like you want to get out and 
there is an element of like sometimes where I bring all this stuff and then I go screw this like I'm gonna go out and look around and eat some food and like have oh a good yeah time. I mean it's so. it's the perks of if you're lucky enough to play on a in a band where they take you around the world and to take you to all the best places and pay you for it it's, yeah it's one you can't help but feel really thankful and yeah. blessed and you have done that. I mean, you're a hero of mine because you're a true sideman sharpshooter hero, oh, like a badass who... I don't I mean, know what to say. Thanks. You've worked with... <laughs> I mean, a lot of guys, we dream about playing with so many different artists. I mean, from Chris Cornell, Melissa Etheridge, Don Henley to... Those photos you posted from Mount Fuji at like oh, Dawn yeah. or something, that was the craziest gig. I will definitely put some of those photos on the... Oh, please do, yeah. On the Facebook page, because yeah. you're not going to believe this if you haven't seen it. Tell us about that scene. Oh, God, man. <laughs> um, well, okay. First of all, I got to give you a little background on the artist. So his name is uh, Tiyoshi Nagabuchi, and he's been around since the mid-70s making music in Japan. He's kind of an interesting character. He started out as... Uh, this is a gig I've been doing, touring gig I've been doing for the last couple of years. Um, he started out as sort of like a guy with an acoustic guitar, sort of almost like a folk artist, really, traveling all over Japan, playing like two, 300 gigs a year, uh, uh, you know, just playing wherever he could play with an acoustic. And he, and he became quite well known uh, in Japan. And then he, he basically went way more rock kind of in the 80s, I guess late 70s, early 80s, mid 80s, 90s, became really like a rock artist. And uh, so there's this strange sort of like, you know, certainly musically he's got like a, this wide uh, sort of selection of music to pull from in the shows. And his career path is just kind of really interesting. It's almost like if James Taylor had become Aerosmith or something, <laughs> you know, Badass. in their career path. And then he's got all that to pull from. So, so And people sort of think of him as like maybe like the Springsteen of Japan or something like that, like that kind of, not to draw comparisons, but that right. sort of, he's kind of like a real hero to working people in Japan and the, that sort of thing. So they love to go see him live. They're very, very enthusiastic at his shows. So yeah, there's just this like whole uh, fist pumping thing going on the whole time and everybody's like super into the shows. So, uh, you know, the concerts are, are really well attended, the big shows, and you know, he's like an, an arena artist, that kind of thing. Well, about 10 years ago, uh, at the Sakurajima volcano in the south of Japan. This is where he's from. He actually uh, grew up in a city right there called Kagoshima. Uh, he um, performed a concert down there for about 70,000 people, and it was an all-night show. Uh, and he basically wanted to top that. So it was an incredible, you know, event, but he wanted to kind of, you know, outdo himself basically. So he thought Fuji this time. So, uh, they, they basically, uh, got this site at, at, at Fuji, which was, uh, I believe like a university farm or something like that is what it actually was. And he had to sort of secure that site and get permission to use it and prepare it for like a year in advance. I mean, they were like moving livestock and things like that and getting ready for, you know, like literally, yeah, literally like this huge, uh, ordeal to kind of make this site work for a giant concert and built this incredible installation that is well i guess if you put up some photos you can see it it's, i guess that's one of the things uh, i was looking at i was so, so hypnotic that yeah. thing what is it? it's well it's sort of made to sort of mirror the 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 mountain so it's built sort of in the shape of the mountain and so when you see the mountain behind it it's really incredible because it looks like a you know to and uh it was all like video screens and that kind of thing and lighting and the whole deal, this big towering sort of stage that was 200 meters wide and just this crazy thing that they built. Never seen anything like so, it. Man. 
Yeah, it was pretty wild. It looked like about 100,000 people, but it looked like a million is what it looked like. It looks like a lot. Yeah, it's crazy. It's 100,000, 100, I think. And, and uh, yeah. that's, that, that was sort of capacity for the site. And so what we did was we played all night. We played from uh, about 9.30 in the evening till about 6.45, I think, in the morning with three breaks. But the breaks were only about 30 or 40 minutes each. So it was, it was a, really an all-night concert. And yeah, we rehearsed 52 days for that show for one gig. <laughs> Learned wow. like 60, it was 60 some songs, I think, that were played. Did you do any was, practice gigs was, around? Or what's that? Did we do any? Practice, like no. Six, it was 52 it. days in one rehearsal studio. Yeah, going back like every... I was there all summer to rehearse for one gig. It was pretty wild. Oh, wow. So, but the gig was... Uh, I can't quite describe it. I mean, it's something I'll never forget. It was just this incredible epic. What are one of your favorite guitar thing. parts you play with him? Just to give us a sample of some of the things you do with, with uh, uh, Tsuyoshi. Let me see. Uh, there's, a, there's a song that, that is like the most fun song to play, which is kind of like... It's like that kind of thing, like kind of awesome. sort of thing. And that song is a blast. That's on the DVD. It's like, it's called Kizuna. But it's just this, this kind of like a rocker that has that, like, awesome. I heard a song the other day that sounded a lot like it. Because I've always been trying to figure out, like, what song it actually reminds me of. But yeah, that's a, that's a super fun one. <laughs> You know, it's like one of those kinds yeah. of rockers. So epic. that's a blast. Yeah, it's kind of like epic. You know? Yeah, that's well, anyway. Yeah, doing that with like and dual guitar, twin harmonies. You know, there's like all this kind of like stuff going on in his. Fantastic. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Well, you know, I was curious how you became so in demand. It's really interesting. Obviously, you're a great player, but you've also had you've done you've had a lot of stops in the way. What made you grab the guitar in the first place, and how old were you? Uh, I was uh, ten years old. There was a kid that had moved into my neighborhood. I told this story actually. Uh, funny at the line six booth i did a little appearance at nam and i told the story and this is the second it's funny because i'm just telling it for the second time within a oh, couple cool. of months but <laughs> yeah this basically a kid moved into my neighborhood that was a few years older than me and he was super into music and played guitar and keys and all kinds of stuff and had this amazing record collection so he taught me first off how to listen to music he kind of uh you know sat me down and said all right put on these headphones and you know here's their album jacket you know back in the days when it was lps of course you know and you could yep. sit there in a chair and sort of read the liner notes and the way we used to listen <laughs> instead I, of yeah. all this distraction right i but missed that part of it i know yeah but he and and at 10 that was like really i was like wow you know this is pretty fascinating and he was way into like the Beatles the Stones and the Who and the Jam and all this really kind of you know super cool music Beach Boys he was really into the Beach Boys and Pet Sounds and Smile and stuff he had this massive record collection a lot of which consisted of like sort of Beach Boys rarities and he was like 13 or 14 yeah, like, yeah he was almost like a sort of like a genius sort of kid like he had a just really high aptitude and and he, a lot of kids his age wouldn't hang out with him I don't think because they didn't understand him so I was like the neighbor kid or whatever and he sort of like maybe begrudgingly was like oh, all right we can be friends or whatever <laughs> but anyway he showed me you know my first sort of uh <laughs> that's the first song i ever exactly the first song i ever learned on the guitar and he showed me those chords and i was like okay that's cool i dig that <laughs> that's fun and that became the you know launching off point i guess for i just got into guitar and uh, pete townsend's a good place to start yeah it's funny i saw the who in 2001 uh, you know, Antwistle was still with them and stuff. And I remember, you know, Zach playing drums and stuff. It was great. I walked in and I kind of came in late. And as I'm walking into the show to get my seat, that's the 
first song of the, you know, and I was like, <laughs> and I just, you know, I heard that and I just stopped as I'm walking to my seat and looked at the stage and I proceeded for the next two hours to just sort of remember like how important this music was oh, yeah. to like it's a, it's why I do what I do. Yeah. Because he really, he really kind of invented the power chord in some, in a certain kind of a way. Yeah. But it's interesting because he's playing all these strats now. You know yeah, that? yeah, 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 yeah. Well, he, I think track. it's a thing where, once again, you know, here's a guy that uh, will use whatever it takes to kind of get the job done. That's the kind of player I think. You know, he plays strats with acoustic pickups and found an amp that he likes to get most of his tones and plays a guitar that... And he's not like a, a purist by any means when it comes to gear, you know? It's... Uh, right. I think he used what, what it took to kind of, you know, whatever it took. He didn't care. I mean, a lot of the 70s who stuff was recorded using a PV, uh, one of those 410 PV... Uh, it was the original classic, I believe, that kind of looked like a bandmaster. And right. uh, yeah, and it's, I think it's a solid state front end, you know? I didn't and, know that. Yeah, yeah, I believe so. Don't, you know, if yeah, I'm wrong about no. this, but I'm pretty sure that a lot of the 70s stuff was was done with, there was a Gretsch that he played through that amp, and there's photographs of him using it in the studio. And I think, like, Who Are You? And a lot of stuff was done using that setup. So some Who fan will correct me on that, but I'm pretty sure. <laughs> so, uh, so then going from there, what kind of styles did you, or other songs did you branch out into after, like, Can't Explain and stuff? Well, so my sister was way into uh, Sabbath and and you know, early Metallica and stuff like that. She knew about that stuff before anybody else knew she's a big metal head. So I had this one friend of mine, this guy kind of, you know, he, and he was very sort of like poo-pooed that kind of music. And then my sister was like a metal head and she loved it. So, you know, it was, in and I, I remember yeah. going into uh, my, my first gig was my sixth grade health class. And I took a Les Paul copy that wasn't even mine. It was a friend's. All I had was a nylon string guitar at the time. So I asked this friend of mine, hey, can I borrow your guitar? It was my sixth grade health class. And we did kind of a show and tell thing. Like just this kind of a whatever once a week thing in there. And I remember. <laughs> I went in and did that, you know. And I remember the looks on the. I was a nerd. I mean, you saw the cover of my uh, uh, album, you know, right? That's not you. <laughs> that is totally me. Total nerd. Okay, and, you and guys got to check this out if you haven't seen the album. It's called <laughs> Guitar Nerd. It's the worst picture I could possibly find of myself. It's fantastic. It my I thought it's all uphill from here, right? Hey, so. you look like a rock star today, and as long as I've known you. <laughs> wow, thank you. Thank that's you. great. No, that's true. But yeah, so I, I played that song, and I remember the looks on the kids' faces. You know, there's like 30 kids sitting there all like, whoa, like he's a nerd, but he kind of rocks. And uh, I was like light bulb went off like oh i think i found my thing <laughs> very cool so it was a it was a cross section of the who and you know i was a huge beatles fan i collected uh many many beatles out i think by the sixth grade i had like 55 beatles albums or something i was like into picture discs and all the rarities and stuff and it's a big wow big fan of that stuff too and that that was almost like pre-playing when i could really right. sort of start to play the guitar it was like I was more of a listener for maybe a year, and then I really got into playing and stuff. So. That's awesome. I yeah. love that you're a Van Halen guy, too. Like, oh, yeah. Everyone knows Eddie Van Halen is great and stuff, but I feel like sometimes people, I feel like sometimes he's almost underrated as to what he's contributed and done. I totally agree. Um, yeah, like I was having a conversation with somebody the other day, and they were talking about Van Halen almost like, uh, oh, you know, that kind of party rock. Eddie was great, but they just made that dumb sort of party rock. And I was like, really? Like, listen to Dirty Movies. Or <laughs> Dirty, movies. <laughs> Dirty Movies is like Beethoven. It, right? It sounds to me like if I Beethoven mean, played guitar through Marshall, that's what it sounds like. 
Yeah, I mean, compositionally, it's just really advanced, interesting, and nobody's... Do- or, you know, like, the uh, somebody somebody said... Uh, oh, it was the same guy. He was talking about Alex. Like, yeah, I never really liked the drummer. And I was like, really? You ever listen to the drum part on... Okay, I, so... I just noticed somewhere you pointed out the G chord on there. Yeah. It's oh, just like a is D. That. It's like a, mostly just a D and a G string. But, sounds so huge but why does it sound like he makes it sound yeah. right it's like it's so incredible so the kick drum yeah. on that i know it's Doing that the whole time? Everybody go listen to the kick drum pattern right now on Mean Streets and tell me it's not like one of the most interesting things because most people don't pay any attention to it, but it's doing this crazy... It's like... uh, And I think that kind of thing came from when they were learning all the... You know, Van Halen was a cover band early on and they were playing all this... Like learning Cool in the Gang and all kinds of crazy stuff, right? And then sort of interpreting it in their own rock way. Yeah, Beatles played a lot of covers before they got started. (laughs) Exactly. And I thought about that too. I thought like some of the greatest bands were bands that played three, four sets a night and worked their asses off learning all this other music and stuff and just assimilated it all and then spit it out as whatever they... And the Beatles is a great... Yeah, Beatles and Van Halen is one thing they really have in common, assimilating yeah. all that music and then doing their own thing to such a... Right? I mean, right. it's like... I totally yeah. Amazing. I'm you know? really thankful that I played a million wedding gigs and stuff. I learned <laughs> Sinatra, James Brown, all yeah. the way up to the present. Well, you yeah. have a great memory for songs. I know that about you. Possibly, I don't have I don't that. Know. I don't have. I think you probably do. I can tell because I've, I've heard you do. You've done a Van Halen cover thing, right? Where you yeah, yeah. I played with a Hot for Teacher for many gigs. Yeah, yeah. In, from up north in Bay Area. And you do it great. Them. And it's a hard oh. style to 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 kind of. Uh, don't you find like he's a really really difficult player to oh. replicate? Oh yeah. I'm, it took me it's literally twenty years probably to learn how to play the intro to Mean Street. You know. <laughs> Right, to actually and, play with the harmonics in the right place and everything. It's really hard to play. Uh, I, I've never been able to quite get it right. Like the, yeah. uh, the, the, the with the, you know, I, I can't quite get the, there's a tap in the second half of it. Can you show me? Oh, you know, I don't really, I'm <laughs> not sort even of quite like sure about the first part. That part. The, yeah, the, 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 the rhythm second. on that. You know, there's a guy who, who's got it down. It's named Patrick Faherty. Yeah. A friend of mine. He, he, I'll have him show us. He, he's got that complete dialed. It's he like, says it's like a Latin rhythm. Isn't yeah. that it? Like kind of like, like it to me. Right, but then you need to turn it around right there, and that's the part that I always have a trouble trouble doing quickly. Yeah, I usually just yeah. jump straight into the. Right, right, all right. That kind of fun stuff, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you ever play in a lot of cover bands and stuff? Uh, yeah. So when I when I was in high school, I did, and then uh, when I moved to LA, um, the first band that I got into here was an original band that I ended up signing a record deal with in like '96. Actually, we made a record for Southeast Japan. Okay, so and, slow down sorry, a second. You, you came Japan, from Canada, but, right? Yeah, yeah. Edmonton, and what was the? You went straight to MI. How old were you? Yeah, was I went this, to MI when I was 19. Musicians Institute. Now, was there a yeah. culture shock when you landed in Hollywood in like the 90s? Maybe or? a little. Not really, because I traveled to LA with my folks on vacation and stuff. And I always like, from, I think I first time in California was like I was 14. And then when I was 16, I came right. again. So I'd been to LA a few times. I kind of went like, whoa. I mean, actually, yeah, yeah I'm moving there and 
main, you know, living full time was, uh, it was a learning process, but I kind of knew what I was getting into. <laughs> so you went to MI for about two years or something? I, I went for one year. One year. And then I just started working in bands and stuff. And that's yeah. the, yeah, the band that I got into right away was with a guy named Frank Symes, who's a terrific guitar. He actually tours with The Who now uh, as a, uh, does keyboards and MD stuff with them. And, oh, right, right. And I just watched that amazing video on the plane coming back. Oh, did live you? Live in Hyde Park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he's I saw there. His name on and, there. Yeah. and, you know, interesting, small world enough, uh, Lauren Gold, the other, the sort of the main keyboard player in the band, he, he would, does Joshi's gig. So he was ah. at the 100,000 Fuji gig and all that. And so, you know, he split time between The Who and, and other things. <laughs> so it's, it's all come very full circle for me. I know like like three guys that are touring with The Who now. <laughs> it's like my favorite wow. band when I was a kid, you know. But um, uh, yeah, so uh, Frank, uh, he had a band and it was called Surreal McCoys. And I joined that band and we, we made a record for Japan and Southeast Asia uh, around 96 and wrote, you know, I think 50 tunes together and stuff like that. And just, it just, you know, worked really hard. But in the sort of in the meantime, while we were trying to get a deal and working towards that, we, we played covers, you know, and we went out and did that like probably a couple nights a week or whatever. We had gigs around yeah. Pasadena and kind of like Van Halen. We were a cover band in Pasadena. <laughs> you learn a lot when you playing in bars and dealing with the public, you know, yeah, average PA systems and Totally. People throwing stuff. <laughs> exactly. I played bass for a while. That was fun. Like yeah. played bass and you know did that in cover bands. And you sing much? Or um, I sing. I'm not. I don't consider myself like a, a natural born singer. I have to work at it, but I never shy away from it. Like if it's like background vocals, yep, sure. Because it's like I, I feel like it's something that. First of all, it's a real asset to people hiring you. And so if they're like, can you sing that? I'm always like, yes. I mean, even in like foreign languages, I'll try it and stuff. Because it's like, I'm going to, you know, if it's one of those things where it's mind over matter. If you like, do you sing? Do you? I'll definitely sing backups, if, especially if they're in the right range. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Give me the part that's in my range. I can usually do it. You can do it. Yeah. And it's fun, yeah. right? You get into yeah. it. And it's like oh, a different yeah. aspect of like, it's a challenge. and I, it, But it's not something that... Uh, that uh, like I'm, you know what it is is I've never been like the lead singer personality or something where it's like uh, you know like I don't really enjoy writing lyrics for example some people that's really their deal like they just are all about writing s- lyrics I'm I'd rather work with a good singer and lyricist and contribute like melody for sure and maybe you know chime in if it's like well here's an idea for a line or whatever but I've never been a guy that sits down and like well, I know. You know super passionate about writing lyrics it's just not my deal so. Well, yeah. imagine putting down your guitar and all your music and everything and, and pulling out a notepad for seven hours and just getting that deep into lyrics. It's like hard for yeah. guitar players to do that, you know, because we're so into yeah. the sound and the texture and the... Totally. So yeah. it's, it's hard to put the same amount into lyrics. I'm with you on that. And I just have a bit of a block about it. Like, oh, I don't know. I'm not like, you know, like like it's a <laughs> lyricist. I don't... I, it's not like I haven't yeah. written... I've written songs and stuff I have, but um, it's, you know, and, and sang them and whatnot. And someday maybe I'll put those out or something. I'm not sure. But it's just, I consider it more like a, that's a little fringe hobby of mine. Whereas yeah. playing guitar and working with really, it's hard because I've worked with some incredible singers, you know, with Cornell and, you know, most average yeah. and stuff and Henley. And it's like, you know, we play with these people. It's like, well, I think I'll leave that up to them. <laughs> I know. Well, let's talk you know? about Top of the Heap. Like, how did you end up playing with Don Henley? And what was your well audition like that's a real uh i can actually it's a full circle kind of story with with what we've been talking about frank actually was playing with don henley for many years and uh frank symes and so i knew him since i guess 91 and uh he was playing with don then and uh, he'd, he'd been with him since i think 87 or something like that and so around 2000 
um, so many, many years later, you know, he called me and said, Don's uh, putting out a record and going on the road. Do you want to come down and audition? I was like, absolutely. And that was like, you know, at the time, <laughs> I've never done anything like that. It was my biggest audition. I'd been touring with people and stuff and had started doing sideman work, but like I'd never been in the room with a guy like that to play music. So I didn't know if I was going to get like laughed out of the room or what. I wasn't sure, you know. But I went in and I did really well and I ended up getting two callbacks. So wait, where, and, where was the audition? Uh, it was at a uh, uh, soundstage somewhere in like Culver City. I think. Culver City. Yeah, it was like a big you know rehearsal thing. What did you bring to the audition, and what songs were you asked to prepare, or what? <laughs> it was all those biggest hits, you know. Like it was, it was a lot of songs. I remember that was about ten to- ten songs, and I knew that he was a real stickler and wanted if there were songs with two solos, he wanted you to kind of play them all and see what you could do and that kind of thing. So it was Sunset Grill and Dirty Laundry and uh, you know Boys of Summer. All these songs Man. that I'd kind of grown up hearing. And I brought, a, I had a Marshall DSL 50. That was my amp at the time. And I had a little six space rack and, uh, you know, a little ground control set up and stuff like that. And a six space rack with some pedals and a drawer. And uh, and I brought that. And yeah, I ended up getting two, two callbacks. And it was a really, really important uh, sort of milestone for me because I learned that I, I, first of all, I worked very, very hard on it and um, I spent like, a, I don't know, weeks learning these songs, just practicing them over and over again, practicing them in my living room, standing up so it was very real world and, and practicing the background vocals and stuff because I knew they'd probably ask me to sing and that kind of thing. So um, I, I, I got in the room and sure, I was nervous, but I just dived in and did it and... I, I always remember the setup was like, I mean, there was two like Claire Brothers wedges or something there when, with a beautiful monitor mix like I'd never heard because this was like, very pro, yeah. you know. And so that was comforting. And we, we, we started playing Dirty Laundry, I think was the first song. And, you know, you start playing that groove and it kicks in and you're handling go, I make my living on <laughs> that lyric. And I was like, oh, shit, I better, uh, this is some world class shit going on here right now. It was like a charge through my system, though, hearing him sing and standing there and I just dived in and did it and i i yeah it was a, it was it was a nerve-wracking but a but exhilarating I, yeah well you, he does have a reputation for being very particular you know like he's yeah. very vocal about his stance against spotify and stuff as i guess yes. you are too and, and stuff but yeah. you, what was the vibe like when you're in there with this mega platinum eagle well it was he was he is he's a serious guy um but i you know as a person i really admire him and he's always been very nice and and very uh kind towards me and um you know so i i should say i didn't get the gig at that point in 2000 peter stroud got the gig at that point he's a wonderful guitar player and a good friend of mine now Great but don had sent me a really nice letter at the time saying you know, you were my number. Like, that's the kind of guy he is. He's a very classy guy. He sent me a, a, a letter, you know, actually, like, signed by him and said, you know, you were my second pick for the gig and maybe we can work together down the road. You did a terrific job and that kind of thing. And that was just really, like, even though it, it didn't work out for me at that point, it was, uh, you know, it, it was like an affirmation of my, like, I'm in, I'm in the right... I'm on the right track. I'm in the right line of work. It meant a lot yeah, <laughs> at totally. that point. And uh, so, so then uh, about nine years later, uh, uh, the uh, keyboard player was AMD, a good friend of mine, Will Hollis. And he called me up and he said, hey, Don's looking for a guitar player again. You know, you want to come down? And so I went down and, you know, walked in and he was like, hey, Pete, how's it going? You know, nine years later again. 
and uh, that time I got the gig, so <laughs> which I did well, for about six years. So congratulations, retroactively. Uh, thank you. Yeah, no, it was really, uh, really rewarding. I, yeah, I, I have a lot of. I mean, yeah, he's got a reputation for 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 maybe being, you know, like a like I don't know what you want to say, like just a, a hard guy to deal with or something. I've had nothing but great experiences with him. I thought he was a really terrific, very kind, yeah. very serious, you know, and he wants you to walk on stage and you need to step up to the plate. And when you do, he's very happy about that. And he gives you, you know, gives you the look that's like kind of, you know, he's, he's stoked on your, you know. <laughs> Dude, it must've been so fun to play Dirty Laundry because that's got the two fantastic guitar solos. It's first one is Joe Walsh and then the yeah, fade out yeah. solos. So I took the, uh, Steve. Joe Walsh had the super thick kind of delay happening on that particular it's solo. A, it's just a, it's like an eighth note. So it's. Oh, that is. Yeah, so, um, okay, that's it. One, I love that, man. Two, three, four. That's cool. Yeah, it was really cool. Such a cool solo. It's kind of ahead of its time because when you listen to it, like the electronic, like the keyboard sounds on it and the way it fills your woofers, if you got some good speakers, it sounds amazing even here in 2016. It's incredible production. Yeah, yeah, I love that kind of weird sort of early 80s, like some of those sounds. And Sunset Grill and stuff. I love like the weird drum machine and all that. Yeah. Stuff that people were doing at that time was so yeah. cool. Um, do you, you ever, uh, you, know, you know the Genesis album with Mama on it and everything? Like, totally. That's another really interesting. There's a, there's a, a great video on YouTube you can seek out that's like, um, it's like, really long like it's at least an hour or something of like kind of home movies of somebody was shooting like super eight video in the studio while they were making a bunch of that record and it's so cool because you get to see like them working on all that yeah. just weird analog drum machine stuff and you know it's cool i love that the the the, the hanley stuff from that time you know what else i love that's kind of like similar in a way in some ways is that uh early robert plant solo stuff with yeah. robbie blunt robbie guitar. blunt God, fantastic like, strat player so cool right some of those chorusy tones and stuff. Yeah, I just did a video clear. demo of the uh, the um, full tone. Yeah, the tri- <laughs> exactly the tri chorus. Yeah, and I guess that's 
T-E-R-C as in that 80s retro chorus? That 80s rack chorus. Rack chorus. Yeah. And it totally reminds me of those tones. Like Robbie Blunt, you know, kind of like two, I think he used two Princeton reverbs in the studio with a, I'm not sure what his chorusing unit was, but it was. Yeah. Super clear. A lot of space for the guitar in those mixes. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful ship of fools and all those songs. It was like, yes, really cool. Hey, just a quick reminder that yes, there's tons more Pete Thorne coming up, but this is all brought to you by Helix from Line 6, and we really appreciate it. It's a gorgeous system. First of all, I forgot to mention it comes as a rack if you want. Like, just if you're going to be in the studio all day, maybe you want the rack. I personally love the uh, floorboard situation because you can actually adjust all the parameters while you're playing. Imagine that. It's so easy to adjust everything with your feet in like pedal edit mode. Uh, It's hard to describe right here, but it's super simple. Literally, you could do it in the middle of a song on stage. It's kind of funny almost. It just cracks me up how how cool that is. Um, The aesthetically pleasing thing about it is all the the LEDs that surround the stomp box switches and different colors. You can adjust all the color situation and customize and color code it however you see fit. The stomp box switches actually have this little magical power where they, you know, you can interrupt the electrical field just by touching them with your fingertip or even your toes if you happen to have no socks on or shoes. <laughs> and that's kind of neat. You can move things around that way. So much else. I, the, the main thing you got to remember too is the models are just, I don't even like calling them models anymore. These tones are so responsive and reactive. The second I got my demo unit here, I had a session, a home session. Somebody wanted a guitar solo, and this is kind of what I did with the the, the patch Wookiee sponge bath. I love the way it sounds like the battery's dying right there. It's, It's just totally real world. Can't believe I got that from zeros and ones. All right, well, anyhow, let's get back to hanging out with Pete Thorne because, man, what a great cat. What was it like performing with Don Henley anyway before we... uh Oh, any stories or anything from that? Ah, uh, wonderful. On I mean, stage. it's I mean, it's just a really you know what the feeling is one of um, pride when you d- did a gig. I mean, it was a you know he's like I say he's a serious guy and he you know it's a serious band with amazing guitar players. Got the other guitar player Stuart is just uh, you know he put, took over for Felder and the Eagles. That guy is one of the best guitar players I've ever heard in my life. I mean, he's, what's his last name? Uh, Stuart Smith. So he's he's just an incredible guitar player um, with incredible technique and musicality and just, you know, kind of like one of those guys that can use all four fingers on his right hand and, uh, you know, just blow you away with... And he, he has such a simple rig. He uses like a PV Classic 50 and beautiful guitars he has, but just simple like boss effect pedals and very, very, very minimalist kind of rig. And he just gets these great tones. But... So being around guys like that, you know, uh, that's the really, yeah. I just feel lucky to be in the room. I mean, when you're standing on stage, so it's funny, I, I, the whole sort of verse in the song, New York Minute, there's no guitar on. So I just stand there and I felt like I was watching the show every night because <laughs> I didn't come until a very, very simple guitar part on the chorus, you know, I would come in and play, but like the whole verse I, and he tells, I mean, that is such a beautiful song and it's so heart wrenching the lyrics. And so I would just stand there and kind of watch him sing that beside him every night. And that was like, 
You know, like, I don't know how else yeah, to describe it. It's exactly. just like a real, like, I'm really lucky to be here right now was the, the, the vibe. That's what I felt like. So it was a, it was a great experience. And then, you know, you finish the night with Hotel California and Desperado and it's like, you're like, okay, well, this is, you know, it's Miller time. <laughs> then, then you're just, you're dreaming. Yeah. Surreal. <laughs> yeah. Just great. It's, it's just a great experience to be able to play those. I feel like, um, some of what we do, because you do this, you do this work too. And I feel like some of what we do is we're like actors like we get to kind of play the role of like uh i don't want to say brock star or whatever but you know you get to be like the you know you're the guy in that band that gets to play that song for a minute in front of a lot of people and you get to kind of slip into that world for a minute and experience what that's like and then maybe in another year or two you're doing a different gig with a different artist and you get to experience what that's like to play that song with that guy <laughs> you know it's crazy dude and it's yeah, it's like a, it's a really really fun to to be able to you know slide between those worlds and kind of experience those you know wonderful and musical moments. You ended up soon after that, I guess, playing with Melissa. Is that around the same time? Or? Yeah, yeah, about a year later or so. I, I got a gig with Melissa, and somehow the gigs with Don and Melissa uh, sort of uh, didn't overlap ever, almost. So it was Sweet. like for a few years, it was like really nice. I was able to kind of split my time, and and Melissa's just one of the most wonderful people um yeah. and incredible artists you know and she's another one that was just like standing there and watching her sing was like whoa so much power and you know i love her songs it's like i remember i got to play a benefit gig with eric martin from mr big who's an incredible vocalist oh yeah yeah singing yeah. melissa etheridge oh wow yeah wow. we did like come to my window or something okay yeah well i could hear him doing that that makes sense or maybe he did like somebody bring me some water right 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 so he's just a killer blues rock vocalist but yeah what kind of stuff would you what kind of stuff would you play on that jam like when on which song was it i guess it's coming to come to my window exactly what you're doing right now <laughs> that was my role basically uh yeah my part was probably glad i set up the sound yeah. with the, the kind of the boxy <laughs> thing because that was kind of really the yeah. more like this really but you know that kind of thing that kind of americana yeah slightly overdriven is it clean is it dirty you're right in the middle you know that's such that, a great tone because you still got the jangle but you got the teeth <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah. exactly this guitar i've got here today is actually good for this sort of thing because it's got um it's a sir classic with uh two singles and a humbucker in the bridge which is actually my new thornbucker plus pickup that we can talk about if you want dude but, what did, um it, thornbucker that's great the, the thornbucker plus <laughs> yes it's a it's a slightly hotter version of the the pickup we've had out for a little while now which is called the thornbucker but this guitar you know i always say like if i had to pick one guitar to a gig it would be a kind of super strat like this because you can do so much with between sort of rolling the volume down a bit and then splitting the pickup so in the position four it's that that tone i was just using you know it's that split humbucker and single coil That kind of thing. And then if I hit the bridge pickup, great time. it's that, but I can pull up on the tone pot and it splits to parallel. So now I get almost a quasi. Oh, that's cool. And you, you know, just split the Thornbucker plus into parallel? Yeah, so it's, right. it's, it's parallel as opposed to single coil, which is to me, split 
humbucker into single coil, it sort of sounds kind of fake because it's such a different design, you know, the humbucking pickup and the single coil with the magnet being underneath and all that instead of being the actual pole pieces like in a single coil. So they don't quite sound right to me, but a humbucker in parallel... You know, like when I hit the the neck pickup, you know, and then I hit the bridge in parallel. Like they balance really beautifully, right? Like totally. Yeah, and then you can always put it back into you know full series mode. Yeah. That's the difference, and it and it to me, it's a great sort of. That's you know. a great guitar. It's you know, it's obviously Stratocaster esque, but it's I yeah. love I like the painted headstocks on those too. Like you've got the paint on the headstock as well, so it's cream colored body and yeah, that kind of '60s sort of yeah, thing that, that Fender vibe. was doing with custom colors. And you've got a you've got your Sertelli too, so we're like Sertobodies here right now. Yeah, I figured I'd bring you know join the Sur party today. I love their guitars. That's cool. What you know, many, I love, how oh, many do you have? Do you have this, this is it. Do you have to, you've you've got that one and um and how, what made you choose the Tele as your first sort of is this like your main gigging guitar? Like you know this is one of my very best guitars. However, the pickups on it are very you know they feed back pretty in a way that you probably don't want on stage through a really loud amp. Yeah. But I love the way it records so much. I don't want to change the pickup. So this is probably my main recording. Is it? Yeah. Guitar. But yeah, I was wondering if that's why why you gravitated towards the. So so would you would you consider getting a Strat Type One or is absolutely? That some, yeah. But yeah. um, that sounds great, man. It's it's cool. Yeah, I'm running through a Helix here as well, straight into this uh, Line Six monitoring cap with the with the cool deal, you know, with the. I forgot the name of it at the moment. It's got the five speakers oh, <laughs> stereo. Okay. The, is it a Firehawk? Is yes. that what it is or something? Yeah. It's great, man. And it does so much stuff. It's uh I'm in a kid in a candy store over here, but Yeah. You know when I first I first got a Sir, I tried out the uh, Guthrie Govan model. Okay. Yeah. But then I was, you know, I just need a simple like T style tele Yeah, guitar. man. Yeah, yeah. I totally get that. And this is that. A really great. I've also have a Fender Telecaster, so You do. Split. So you kind of become a tele guy in nah. recent times. I've always been a a Strat and Telly, but Telly's some, like a new thing for me, so I just ask, like, oh, because it's like, no, I it's a newish for me too. But being as you know, I mean, time flies so much. Like, I just found yeah. out that this is the 20th anniversary of Line Six. It oh, seems like right? they came out yesterday. Yeah, wow, I remember when the crazy. first Line Six amp came out. You know, the Axis. The Axis. I remember that. Amp. So this, yeah, yeah. yeah. but um, for me, Telly kind of came later, but. Anyone who hasn't tried Tele, it's just you just have to have one. If you record or it's just they're so, they stay in tune and that, yeah. that little mid-range place they hit will fit in any song. It's so true. They, the the tuning thing is huge. The stability, they're just like guitar, like a yeah. Chevy truck or something. It's just like working yeah. man's tool. Yeah, it's it's. Um, if it's you have totally... any doubts, just watch Danny Gatton. Oh my God! Right, I saw some. I saw some Danny Gatton the other day. There was a video going around on Facebook. Maybe it was on that forgotten guitar. Facebook right. site, you know, and, and it was, he was sitting there with, uh, uh, God, I can't remember the commentator, but he was just showing him how well, it was actually, he was showing him like, yeah, Telecaster can do this and this and this and this and playing all this insane stuff. Yeah. <laughs> He's amazing. Well, um, but yeah, my next thing would be a guitar, maybe just like yours, you know, the yeah. super strat with a, yeah, it's a great way to go, uh, for a gigging, you know, throw it in a gig bag and you can fly overseas and pretty much do, uh, to tell you the truth, the tour that I'm doing right now, uh, I'm going to use 
uh, it's not this guitar. I'm going to leave this one town, but it's exactly like this, basically. And I'm, that's going to be my guitar for almost the whole show for an electric. You know, I don't need anything yeah. else. It's it's weird. I've, the last few years, I've been doing a lot of gigs where, like with um, Tioshi and stuff, where there's different tunings and capos. And so, you know, I end up switching guitars a lot. Um, but I discovered that I can kind of play the whole show on one guitar with, as a, uh, sorry, uh, barring the acoustic tunes is what I, what I mean. But, um, you know, besides that I can do all the electric songs on one instrument. So that's great. Yeah. No, I, by the way, thank you for fitting this in and, and the, you know, you're about to take off for big France and Europe or what do you know? Yeah. I'm going to, uh, to France. Yeah. To play with, with uh, how do you say his name? Michel, uh, Michel Polreneff. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So he's a he's a another sort of uh, legacy French artist. Been a lot around for you know many many years, and um, going to be working with him and uh, Tony McAlpine is the other guitar player. So that's fun. No Tony's, shit. Yeah, that's yeah. great. I'm it's so great to hear that he's out and about working again too, because I know that he went through some health stuff there. Yeah, he's had a tough go and stuff, but yeah. he's uh, he's playing amazing and stuff, and he's a, he's a sweetheart. He's an awesome dude. So he's he's, he's doing yeah, really well. Yeah, he's a cool cat. Yeah, yeah. I'm having a great time with him. It's like we're totally different guitar players, but it's really fun because of that. Is he playing you some know? keyboards too? Or he is, and sometimes yeah. he plays guitar and keyboards at the same time. I've seen that man. <laughs> seen that at the baked potato. Just like what? Yeah, he's doubling lines. I didn't even to tell you the truth. He was kind of hard to see in rehearsals he's just sort of like on the other side of the drums and percussion from me and then at some point I like walked out because I've got a wireless and I realized oh shit he's playing like guitar and keys at the same time on this line you know like doubling it in harmony I thought it was one of the keyboard players playing with him right and it's actually him doing the whole thing it's crazy but that's he's a, sick so yeah, um, very talented well when you're auditioning for an artist how do you prepare mm. like say for I don't know was it an audition for Melissa Yes. Like, what, it was. what are your tips for yeah. someone who's got their first big audition, like you had with Don Henley or something? Um, How do you, you over prepare? Um, so really know the stuff inside and out. Um, you know, I I generally take my own rig. Um, sometimes they'll say, "Yeah, we'll have an amp provided for you," and I'm always like, eh, "I'm just gonna bring my own stuff." And there's always like, t- t- you know, you, you want to make it simple enough that you can set up relatively quickly. But I've gone as far as to hire techs for an audition. If it was like, "No, I need to do this the right way," I'll hire a guy to get there early, get my gear there, so I can be in the right headspace and concentrate. Oh, wow. If I really want a gig and it's going to turn into maybe two, three years of work, it might be worth the two hundred dollars you pay somebody or whatever. That's a good to, one because you don't want to yeah. be there sweating and setting it all up yourself. Exactly. Like, oh, hold on a second, Mr. Henley. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think I did maybe have a tech. My my friend helped me uh, set up for Don as well. So I, d- I think I did that for Melissa and because I wanted to, you know, I really wanted to go in and put my best foot forward. And so that way you can, uh, you know, you know, be warming up or something when it, otherwise you would be, uh, you know, plugging in cables and setting up your gear and frantically doing that stuff. So that's one thing. Just But basically musically over-preparing. And yeah, musically over preparing, setting up the tones so that you've got great sounds and you dial. I want to make them feel like from note one at a gig that we could walk out on stage right now and play a show and it would be fine. Because, you know, you got to think about like the mindset of an artist when they're hiring a band, maybe a full band or maybe it's just one musician they're replacing, but their mindset is they're stressed because they want to find somebody that's right for the gig and they got to find somebody new that's 
you know, that's going to fit in, that they're going to be comfortable with on the road, traveling on a bus or whatever, that's going to fit the bill. It's a lot of things. You might, there might be a great player, but he's a jerk or just kind of weird. And so they don't want to hang out with, you know, so there's like the person. So you got to, you got to think about all that and then be that guy that makes them forget about all that when you walk in the room. That's it. So you walk in with the music dialed, the right tones, a great attitude, be very chill, be the kind of person that they would want to be around. And they go, Hey, this is great. Like everything's going to be okay. Like this guy could do it. Like, well, we could walk out right now and play a show and it would be good, you know? And that's what I want to make him feel. That's when you get the gig. <laughs> if you can do that. So well, what was Chris Cor- Cornell like as a band leader? Oh, he was great as a band leader. I mean, the dude's one of my best friends, but he, he, uh, yeah, he's such a great guy. I mean, he, uh, he, he really hires people. I told him this recently. I said, you know, you, you have a real skill for hiring people and surrounding yourself with people that you trust. And then you just let us do our thing, you know? And he was kind of like that. He was very hands off, but if he wants something different, he's very specific about asking for it. So he doesn't say much. You just kind of do your thing and he's like, great, let's move on to the next song or whatever. And, but if there's something that he's not digging or something that he would just like you to do differently, he's so clear about the way I would like you to play that other part more like this than that part like that. You know what I mean? That kind of thing with maybe more like this sound. And you're like, Got you, no problem, and just very hands on for a second, set you in the right course, and then yeah, we'll let you go. But I mean, that's rare. He would really, you know, there's an, there's an art to hiring people, I think, and that's you know, you surround yourself with with people that um, once again, you want to hire the people that make you put you at ease and make you feel comfortable, and it's less stuff for you to worry about. I think as a band leader or as a uh, you know the the, the artist, right. the star, the whatever. It, the less you, you already got a ton of stuff to do, you know, you're doing, you're worrying about promotion and you're worrying about this interview you got to do and you're worrying about, and you got to get on stage and do the hardest job, which is be the front person. And, and so, so the less stuff you got to worry about, the better. That's what I think. So I want to make them feel like I'm not going to be a problem that I'm actually going to be an asset. Yeah. That kind of thing. And so Chris was, he was good that way. He hired a band that, uh, he knew we were going to be a band. He wanted to tour a lot. He wanted to go on the road for f- basically a few years. And he knew we were going to be spending a lot of time together. And so he hired a bunch of guys that, you know, we, we really became like a unit, actually. I think we played over 300 shows. Amazing. And traveled, you know, all over the world, really. And uh, we had to we had to get along musically and as, as people. So. Yeah, there it is. That's yeah. the whole deal. Yeah. What were some of your favorite riffs to play with Chris on a nightly basis? Uh, you know, I have to say it was probably like, I loved playing the old Soundgarden stuff and I loved playing the Temple of the Dog. I mean, even just standing on stage and doing the, um, it's the right sound too. Yeah. Or, you know, the, uh, I don't have the Leslie going right now, but the, the riff for, uh, um, that song was like yeah. just to be able to go through that and see the you know see the you know and the kids freak out like when you kick into that riff yeah. was just like 
you know, you, you, when you start an iconic song, it doesn't matter what it is. Oh, yeah, it's crazy. And you, yeah, you just you get the energy. That's what I mean. We get to like step into that role like you and I with what you do too, where you start a riff like that and everybody just, the crowd goes crazy and you just bask in that for a minute, you know? Black Hole Sun and, or... Yeah. Uh, Pretty, I mean, God, there were so many great um, Spoon Man, and uh, but a lot of the the kind of the uh, sort of more album cut Soundgarden songs are so much fun to play. Like Suicide, we probably only did that like maybe ten times live or something. But Jesus, that song was powerful to play. Or uh, 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 Slaves and Bulldozers, you know, those songs were just like, like I, I don't know how to describe yeah. it because it's like. That was really, if what we do is like being an actor, I really stepped into that role because it was, I'd just close my eyes and get into those heavy riffs and just beat the shit out of the guitar and just enjoy myself like so much, you know, some of the most fun music I've ever, I've ever played. So, yeah, it yeah. must be really emotional to just start those songs and watch the crowd react. Yeah. I mean, the, the getting into the, the getting ready for that tour was very last minute we we pretty much i got the gig and the whole band got the gig really about three or four weeks before the first gig so we had a lot of material to learn and he picked the band and then it was like okay you're starting rehearsing tomorrow and we're going to send you songs every day via email and then you're going to learn them and come in tomorrow and um you know this is what you're going to do so it was like okay so i'd go learn the three tunes or whatever and then go to rehearsal we'd practice those and whatever we'd played the day before and we just kept adding every day three more songs so in my email at night i'd get home after rehearsal and be like i'd be exhausted from rehearsing <laughs> and it'd be like tomorrow you're gonna play you know uh i don't know like overflow or like suicide and uh like a stone or something <laughs> and you'd be like yeah oh man this is awesome <laughs> it was like a dream like i was tired but Best. learning these great songs every night and then going in and playing them with that guy Best homework assignments ever. Yeah, it was cool. You know who does? Who's <laughs> our friend Justin Derrico, who I know he's on your one of your your upcoming episode, Tim and Pete. Or he, I did it already. Yeah, his episode. Yeah, God, he's gotten a lot of a uh, lot of views. This is the, the Tim and Pete's guitar show that we do. That episode's got almost fifty thousand views now. I think, which is great. You know? Yeah, he used to talk about like doing the voice, the yeah. TV show, and he'd come home and he'd have to learn like. 25 or 50 songs a night or oh, something yeah. you know, for the next day. He told us about that on the show. He, he, uh, he, he told us that he had to, uh, he had to start reading charts cause he was forgetting childhood memories because <laughs> he was learning so many songs that it was like his memory was getting cleared he was out. Filling out his hard drive and it was erasing old shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Tell so me about he, some, Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Oh no, go ahead. You, you so say, tell I me insist. about some, some, uh, some spinal tap moments. It's as I like to call them spinal tap moments where, Sorry, I just tried breathing coffee. It doesn't work. That's all right. <laughs> I think I'm still like, I'm seriously out of it from sleeping so much from that, that being so jet lagged. Right, like, right. I'm just, yeah, I'm in a different place. Hang in there. But. You can do it. Have you had any crazy snafus or moments or just hilarity ensuing on stage? Oh my God, yes. Uh, I don't know if I can think of any particular. I mean, with Chris Cornell, it must have been some wild audiences. Yeah. Uh, well, with Chris, we used to do this thing. It's fun. Uh, I, I already told this story a little bit on the Justin Derrico episode, actually, of the Tim and Pete show. But one thing that we used to do with Chris that was really fun was I remember seeing uh, Buck Dharma from Blue Oyster Cult in this movie called Black and Blue that came out. It was Black Sabbath and Blue Oyster Cult. It was like a concert film. And uh, I remember seeing him rip all the strings off of the guitar at the end of the show, all the way down to the low E strings. So he's just like, bang, 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 <laughs> bang, all the way down to the low E. And then he ended up with one string and doing that, you know. And uh, 
so I, I was like, I'm totally stealing that when I got older. And, you know, so um, I, I used to do that with Chris where I just on my Les Paul, I just rip all the strings off. Sometimes they're in Slaves and Bulldozers, the end of the guitar solo. And uh, he'd, you know, sometimes he'd come up and, sh- you know, stick his microphone into the neck of the guitar and run up. So it was just making like a crazy slide sound, stuff like that. It was really fun. Um, you know, at times I'd hold the guitar out and like, and he would grab the strings and rip off three at a time off the neck of this guitar. So this is this poor Les Paul that I used to. Close your eyes. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But it was, it was really fun and uh, just, you know, guitar destruction. It's good times. So um, that poor guitar, I actually uh, put on a stand in a rehearsal one day. It had suffered through all of that and survived. And I backed up into it one day and (sighs) knocked it over. It went over so slowly. And it, I watched it go over really slowly, <laughs> Slow and it motion. hit the ground, and the headstock just snapped right off the guitar. Oh, and I was man. like, "You got to be kidding me!" Like we used to beat this guitar up on a nightly basis, and that's what happens. It was so my, only, my only Les Paul, not a fancy one or anything. I mean, yeah. two thousand Les Paul custom. Yeah, I had checked it in a gig bag, like. R- 20 flights in a row in the 21st. Checked it in a gig bag? A Les Paul? I just started getting cocky. The, the mono <laughs> gig so bags, baldy. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're pretty protective. They got the neck support and everything, yeah. but, you know, a Les Paul, you just but can't dude, do But, dude, you're that. asking for it. That's amazing. Yeah, so it, it, it came back with, i like, uh-oh. And, uh, but they're going to do this thing now. They for It's kind of a high roller kind of a thing, but uh, they put carbon fiber in the and repair it in Gibson in Tennessee. Oh, really? Like in the carbon, headstock? They repair it like a normal neck crack headstock repair, but they actually put carbon fiber on the back underneath the paint and everything. Oh, that's smart. I mean, I, yeah. I actually had a, on my 335, it's got heads, uh, had two headstock breaks. And it's got a, uh, like one before I bought it and then one after I got it. And so when the guy repaired it, he inlaid some maple, strips of maple. And it's probably a similar thing. And it works really well. It's like... But you know, you know a lot of people now. say they sound better after that. Like I yes. was interviewing Slash, and one time he was rehearsing with uh, Nile Rodgers and Sheik. He actually did a tour with them in Japan or a few shows, and yeah. he was doing the neck vibrato thing at yeah. rehearsal where you bend the and neck snap flat, it. and it just exploded, and a piece even hit him in the lip, and he was bleeding down his face, and the guitar the rehearsal stopped and everything. Wow. <laughs> Guy in New York fixed it. I think it was his number one Les Paul, uh-huh. which is not actually a Gibson. Yeah. And um, he says it's better. Sounds says it's better. better. Yeah, Justin says that, that too. That his yeah. his has been broken. He says it's great. You know, so maybe they're a little more stable. With all that glue in there, and the yeah, I don't know. Maybe it uh, <laughs> contributes something to you know. It's like it's great to know that it's they're not a lost cause because that's a really shitty feeling when you realize that the headstocks you know flown off your greatest. Yeah, they're so Paul. fragile. They are. They're so fragile. Yeah, I feel like for you, man. I can just see that moment. Slow motion. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah, luckily I'd had my 335 repaired by then, and so I knew it could be done. It was like, I didn't worry about it too much. I got it back in a few weeks, and it was, yeah, it sounds great. That guitar is awesome. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. I thought of another good on stage. Okay, here's a good one. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. So I was using, uh, with Melissa Etheridge, uh, at the uh, Orange County Fair, I think. We were playing at the Pacific Auditorium down there, and I was using an Axe Effects based rig. So I had an Axe Effects that was running into a tube power amp, and a 412 cabinet. And I did that for one tour. I actually kind of was using a speaker simulation in the Axe Effects going to front of house, but I had a cabinet on stage so I could kind of monitor that way. It was cool. And uh, there was some sort of like little software bug between the foot controller and the Axe Effects that when I would do a certain I can't remember what the combination of pedal pushes was, but it was like I was turning off an effect within a patch or something, it would bypass the whole unit. And I 
I didn't know about it until that point. This was the first time I discovered it on stage. But <laughs> I had come out of a guitar solo, and it, I think it was on Only One, uh, which is like a big, you know, yeah. I'm the only one. You know, it's like a rocker, you know. And uh, so I was coming out of the solo in that, and then there was a breakdown. And <laughs> she talked for a little bit. And I had realized that my rig was bypassed. It sounded like a DI guitar. Just so like plink, plink. Yeah, plink, 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 totally. And I realized, like, it's that moment where, you know, the, the downbeat of when you're supposed to come in playing is looming and getting closer and closer. Okay, I've got eight bars to figure this out or whatever. And I couldn't figure it out. And I came in and played the end of the song with that tone. And it was like our, our former keyboard player, Chris Pooley, was in the audience watching us. And he said, dude, it was the funniest thing ever when you came in playing that <laughs> <laughs> I know that song. Like, so you came back in all. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of like that. It's supposed to be, you know, you know. <laughs> you know, I had that yeah. tone going for the body of the tune, and then I came back in playing. <laughs> did Melissa look you know, over at you, or did she? Oh yeah, yeah. She was <laughs> laughing, and that's the great. You know, the wonderful thing about Melissa is like she will not care one bit if there's an issue like that on stage she's totally she just laughs it off she's played a million shows and like probably everything under the sun's happened to her you know so she just no problem i I remember they they wheeled out her she had a matchless and uh that she would play on a few songs and they wheeled that little amp out for me and i just played through that for the rest of the show it was cool it's almost better when that stuff happens right oh yeah it's like gives you story like this right now it gives you fodder for (laughs) it definitely (laughs) gives you experience yeah, totally. Then you got to make that other thing work. It's like, oh god, here we go. Okay, combo. Yeah. All right, throw a mic in front of it. All right, here we go. Let's play. And you, you kind of play better because it's like oh, you yeah. step up to the plate and like, all right, I got to make this work. And then you're proud after you know. It's like, ah, oh, that wasn't so bad. Yeah, I was playing with uh, the two bands at the Stone Pony recently, and our pedals and everything didn't make it from the previous gig. Okay. So the and it was backlined like Fender Devils. Oh, okay. I just played cable into amp for the first set. Oh, awesome. At the Stone Pony? I guess that's great. So New Jersey. That's how it should be. (laughs) Yeah. It's like the gods of New Jersey stepped in and said, yo, no, no, no. You're keeping it simple. (laughs) And yeah, the the tone, I just got, I was fighting for your notes more and everything. Yeah. And just like, you know, and then when the pedals showed up and I plugged in, I was like, oh man, I'm hearing some serious like impedance suckage (laughs) and all this extra. And then all the the rawness is gone, you know, I kind of missed it. Yeah. That's You know, I remember Stuart from Don's band. He had a problem with his pedal board one night. He was using a B pedal board, like kind of his B rig, because the main rig was, he had, a, I think there was an Eagles gig a couple of days later or something. Yeah. So they had the main stuff at the other venue. And um, so he was dealing with this pedal board he hadn't used for quite some time. And there was a problem in the pedal board. There was some short somewhere going on. So he had a lot of issues with the board cutting out that night and whatnot. And he was really upset about it. I remember him being just like super frustrated, you know, and I felt for him over there. I was just like, man, that's a drag because his guitar kept cutting out at key moments. And eventually he just had to plug into the amp. So he's got that angry fire going, right? Because he's, you know, dealing with, (laughs) and he sounded amazing. He played into, you know, just his PV Classic 50 or whatever. He cranked the amp up for overdrive because normally he played the clean channel with uh, with pedals for dirt. He just turned the amp up, and t- you know, until it, he didn't, he never used the dirty channel amp. He just turned it up and so it's like a 50 watt amp cooking in the zone. So I heard him probably better than I ever had that night and he was just killing. Like There's killing, something to that. Know? It's the last yeah. thing that most pro guitar players will do. The last thing we'll do is right. just go cable into amp. Yeah. But there's a huge reward. Yeah. You know, he told me a great story about that was uh, Jimmy Vivino. Once he oh, was yeah, playing yeah. In, 
this might have been in late 80s or something. He was doing a gig, and someone's like, Joe Walsh is here. You want him to sit in? He's like, yeah, let him sit in. Right. So finally, Joe Walsh gets up on stage. He hands him his Les Paul or something, and yeah. Joe Walsh immediately unplugs it from the pedal board. It was uh-huh. not even the craziest pedal board. Uh-huh. <laughs> Plugs it straight into the Fender Deluxe or something, or maybe it was even a twin. Turned yeah. every knob all the way up. <laughs> rock the house. It. He said it was one of the best guitar lessons he ever got on tone. That is a really... And, and you know, it's funny. is like those are the moments when you learn things like that. Like it's not you know, all the lessons and whatever that you can... But there's these key moments and he, he'll probably always remember that one and it's a great one. You know, it's like... Yeah. Uh, I remember going to MI and... Uh, do you know Nick Nolan? I don't think so. He's sure. a great guitar player that's mostly doing t- film and TV composing now, I think, but he's in LA here. He's an awesome player. Uh, and he was my... At MI, we had a private instructor that would kind of keep us on track with the curriculum, and you'd have a lesson once a week, and they were sort yeah. of supposed to be sort of like your guitar guru and make sure you were doing a good job. But he was great, and he had seen me in a uh, live performance workshop there at MI doing, you know, probably a Zeppelin song or something like that. And he he said to me, you know, um, he he said I was watching you play, and he said I. Uh, he said, I want to relate a story to you because I think he saw some of himself in me or something. And I, I'm this sort of, sort of this perfectionist about learning parts and making sure I've got everything right. And he said, so back when I was at school, I was doing one of those things, the LPWs. And I got up on stage and I was, you know, a little bit nervous, but I plugged into the amp and I played all the parts right. And I really did a good job and all that. And he goes, the guy that got up after me sort of stumbled on stage and plugged his guitar into the bass amp and, oh shit, you know, and then he like pulled out the bass amp, went over to the guitar amp, plugged in. And he says, he probably played the song about 70% as perfect as I did, but he had so much attitude and like, he just didn't care that the people there watching the the class or whatever were more like the crowd so to speak were way more enthusiastic after he played and it was in that sort of moment like that sort of punk rock like just it's there's an aspect of it that's performance you know it's like we're there to 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 perform and and you know people want to have a good time and it's not necessarily all about playing the perfect solo or the notes exactly right or whatever there's got to be that just go Tap for in it. Yeah. that emotion and yeah. the vibe happening. Don't worry so much. You know what I mean? That's, that's, a cha- that's always been somewhat of a challenge for me, but I've improved a lot in that area. I know over the years where it's like, okay, I know what I'm here to do. I'm here to, these people want to have a good time, you know? Well, you're so. such a, you're the quintessential modern player because you totally have that going, but then you also, when called upon to play the notes exactly right, you bring that or all the get 10 different sounds in one night or switch to a totally different artist and i mean it's pretty impressive the tones are the that's a fun one for me tones and parts you know it's like it's great it's like pieces of a puzzle that you get to put together and figure out you know it's 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 always fun for me to to uh, i did, you know having said what i just said yes i'm i get super anal retentive about going in with the right sounds and having all my presets right and the right delay time and all that stuff but then when it comes time you got to perform, you know, and like make sure they're seeing a show. So it's, it's, I guess it's a balance, striking a balance. You know, there's a fantastic guitar player around town. Maybe you know him, Jubu, kind of R&B cat. I don't. Incredibly well-respected. John T. Smith. Okay. He, he, I knew him from high school. He gave me that same guitar lesson you're talking about, where I, a jazz lab band, I'd complain every day, this guitar they have here is garbage, this amp is broken, which were both were true. Right. <laughs> garbage <laughs> amp. All right. Graphite neck guitar, like a dog of a guitar. Okay. Said, I can't play this. And then somebody said, there's a new kid in class. You got to check him out. Right. And he picks up the same gear, and he'll just like... 
throwing the small everything is just killing right 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 i mean right, he's right. performing like it, it, that was probably the best guitar lesson i've ever had so watch him come in and just make it come alive right right you know he's like a i guess he grew up gospel player in his dad's church whatever yeah john, they call him jubu now his name's jubu but i knew him as john smith back in high school fantastic player wow. and whitney houston and tony 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 and all these all these bands played maze frankie beverly okay same deal yeah just knocked you out with with his yeah i mean that that it's really a good lesson to remember you, you had uh, uh joe satriani on your show uh yeah. i know i listened to some of that episode which is really great and he uh there's a terrific video of him on youtube that i'm sure you've probably seen where he's playing uh what was the song might have been Satch Boogie or Surfing with the Alien, maybe with with uh, Kid Strat. Have you seen that video? No, Where's, I haven't. I gotta check oh, that you got to check that out. He's playing like a, it's like a two hundred dollar guitar and a little practice amp, and I don't know where he is, but it's like a you know he's sitting there playing. He's just kind of off the cuff, and and he's you know it sounds like him. He's playing it perfectly. It sounds awesome, and it doesn't matter that he's playing a two hundred dollar guitar. He plays the whole song, yeah. On this, you know, <laughs> and it's just like okay, well there you go. You know, how Very important cool. is the is the minutia of gear. These It's a good thing that I, I kind of thought about talking about that a little bit today. We haven't really touched on it, but the sort of minutia that people worry about in the internet land, as opposed to the stuff that really like, you know, back in the seventies and even the eighties and stuff, people don't worry so much about like, yeah. the, right? Like it's in tune. <laughs> that's an A chord it's all good or like you know the exact you know, preamp to right. the right you know I need these special cables with gold oh, plated yeah. ends and those, all this stuff like people didn't worry about this stuff right it's that, like, it, all of it helps but that's just like the fabric on the car's seat it doesn't have anything right. to do with the actual vehicle and where it's going and yeah. what you're doing yeah like the notes and the you know I hear a lot of people like kind of I guess I guess my fear is that it's like a lot of people sort of worry about, I need this exact pedal with that cable and whatever. And then you hear them play and it's maybe yeah. like, you know, it's like, man, like it should be more effort put into like the practice and the, you know, and the, the execution and making sure you're playing something musically interesting and stuff. Like it's, it's almost like the internet has been bad for people just kind of, you know, talking and get, you know, it's like the, that bad sort of internet mojo where everybody's like kind of bagging on one another or that kind of thing. Like that gets like a, that is that weird negative, like addictive sort of thing where people can get caught up in kind of gossip and BS on the net. I feel like it's a lot of that sort of translates into the gear thing too. It is, it's it, true. It, I agree. Makes sense. You know, I mean, like, it's incredibly helpful and you can learn so much and find anything you want in mere seconds. But when you finally sit in a room with an incredible, player and they have a fire breathing amp yeah and you hear that so that's gonna you're gonna learn more than that moment yeah a million gear forums probably so you gotta have you gotta balance it out with yeah and learning about groove and really locking with other musicians yeah you know you just can't do that over skype or over youtube it's not the same (laughs) well that's yeah and that's a whole that's another great discussion is like the fact that we're all making music alone these days a lot in our little studios because i'm guilty of that i mean i sit there by myself i was talking to a drummer friend of mine yesterday and even with what I do in my, the gear demo videos and stuff that I make, and I'm sitting there. He, he said, you know, you should come over and I'll play drums on your stuff, you know, and because he said he's, he's working on library music and accumulating music for, you know, and I was like, well, you're right. We could kill two birds with one stone when I'm writing these songs for gear video demos. There's no reason that you couldn't be using them for your library stuff. So kind of, you know, 
scratch each other's back and go over there do you know you know what i mean just just yeah. kill two birds with one stone and, and maybe get a bass player over too and hey check it out we're all in the room making music together like we used to you know and and so we're trying to come up with creative ways to do that um because yeah we sit there and yeah he said to me you know i could i could knock out a drum track that people like the drum programming i do i know that and i guess one of the most common things how do you do your drums is that real you know and it's like i've gotten i know i've gotten good at at drum programming would i rather be doing that or just you know playing with a real drummer i'd rather be playing with a real drummer you know interacting <laughs> so well, on that you know, note how do you yeah. do the, your drums they are good just real quick two sentences or whatever are you in logic or what do you so i work in logic and i use a combination of uh generally steven slate drums is the the sort of drum uh plug-in that i'm using a lot and then i use a lot of sort of like pre-programmed midi grooves from different companies like groove monkey or uh slam tracks or things like that and i'll start out i'll find a groove that kind of fits what I want to do or maybe I'll just pull up a random groove and then write a guitar part to it because that's a fun thing to do too and then I'll sort of refine the groove it's like okay now I want to change the kick pattern I need this kind of fill so then I'll do some programming but starting with the sort of pre-program there's enough MIDI you know pre-programmed stuff out there that it's like you don't have to build a beat from scratch that's for sure it's a major time saver to sort of yeah. start with something good so then that's that's how i kind of come up with the drum part uh, as far as the sounds and stuff go i always mix it like a real kit so i've got the kick snare toms overheads room mics all broken out across different faders all being processed like you would a real drum set nice some too so that's your secret yeah you gotta treat it like drums you know and yeah. then you can make it sound like drums you know kind of sum it all out a, a fader then you can do a you know parallel compression if you want to on the whole kit and that's what really makes it sound like because the sound Sounds are there, you know, like the between the Stephen Slade or you know whatever you use, addictive drums or BFD or whatever. The, the samples or whatever the sounds are great. They've multi-sampled a million different snare hits at different velocities and stuff. And if you just put a bit of programming into, you know, making sure that there's some human feel there and stuff, it's great. Now you just got to take it and make it sound like a real kit. And it's the key is there's no substitute for busting it out across faders or whatever compressing it eqing it like you would a real drum set what's a good example so, of one of your songs that you program the drums for in, in the manner you just described well you mentioned earlier you mentioned i don't know to live and die in nashville or half of my record was done that way but that i've gotten a lot better at it since i did guitar nerd um Anything that you hear on my YouTube channel is all just drums that I've done. Like it's kind, of, it's kind of fun in a way. Having said what I said about playing with real people, it is fun and rewarding to like end up with a track that it's in, in kind of a geeky way. Like, oh, look what I did! It sounds like a real guy, <laughs> you know. But yeah. it's there's a, there's a there's a geeky. I, I enjoy that, and I enjoy these videos I make. I enjoy like the working in final cut the editing process trying to make it look kind of cool not too perfect but like i like the sort of homebrew yeah look to my videos like i don't want to make it too perfect because i think that makes it start to look like a commercial which i don't want it to be i want it to be like a guy in a room doing it all by himself i want it to always yeah. look like that so they come out great you, you have running a, like two or three cameras at once or uh sometimes it's it's generally just one camera and then sometimes my phone you know, so sometimes it's my iPhone capturing a second, you know, HD video shot. It's amazing what you can do, like, with the phone these days. I have a good, like, a decent Sony camera that's 
looks great. I upgraded about a year ago to that. And I, I used to do more of the kind of two angles thing, but it, God, it's time consuming, like mixing two cams together and stuff. And, now, you, know. you mentioned to live and die in Nashville. Oh, yeah, yeah. I actually learned that this morning for the most part. But okay, I, I can't know remember you, how to play This it. always happens. People are like, oh, I haven't played that. In- okay, you're going to teach me how to play my own song again. Well, here's <laughs> the thing, because I don't, um, with the videos I make, that was another demo that I made for a product for the Kemper. And I haven't played it since then. So <laughs> I did a lesson for it, I think. So you got to show me how to play it's my classic. own lick again. <laughs> I think I, it's. <laughs> I remember now. Uh... <laughs> right? <laughs> Okay, to live and die in Nashville. How does it go? You show me. (laughs) Uh, You you start off. Okay. There it is. There it is. fun licks to play Do you, was that a Kemper on that one or yeah so I made that little tune as like a uh god okay what was it I got the Kemper and then Michael Britt had sent me some of his profiles uh he's a guy in Nashville that's a kind of a Kemper whiz and amazing guitar player guitar player from the band Lone Star and yeah. um and he makes terrific Kemper profiles when I got that device and i started trying different profiles i quickly learned that it is really dependent on having a good profile like as far as having a good you know result from that unit it's totally dependent on the profile it's almost like having a sampler you know you could put a million different piano sounds in there and if it was done with a guy by a guy that doesn't know what he's doing you know sampling a piano then it's not going to sound good so i sort of think of it akin to that like it's completely profile dependent um so Michael makes terrific profiles because he's a you know great guitar player and he's a studio guy too. So um, I wanted to kind of thank him for the profiles he'd sent me and also do the best demo I could kind of of that unit to show sort of my theory that it's really profile dependent. And so I just pretty much loaded up like five of his profiles and wrote that song around them. I love the fact that you kind of did three things with that. You did a gear demo. Yeah, you wrote a new song, right? Right, and actually released it as a single on iTunes, which is where I found it. Oh, cool! Grabbed it. (laughs) Oh, amazing! Yeah, Um, yeah. Well, you know, that's the kind of the beauty of uh, what I'm doing with the demos is that 
I look at a lot of it as sort of like, maybe this is a new song. Like when I'm writing a song for a pedal demo or whatever, they, I, I view them all as sort of like demos at at worst, you know, and at best, maybe there's something that can turn into a song or maybe be used later on as, you know, some library music for somebody or for something. So it's like, it's fun because you're kind of taking the heat off of, you know, when you sit down and write a song, it can be like, kind of like, oh, what am I going to do? And there's all this pressure because I got to write a song for my new record or whatever. And so you instantly you're in that headspace where it's like, it's got to be great. It's got to be. But if, if, if your focus is like, hey, I'm going to show off like this Kemper profile that's based on an AC30 or something. So let me write an AC30 sort of specific part or whatever, you know, and I came up with whatever, you know. <laughs> Like thinking about that, like what can I do that's kind of like, you know, a, a cool little sort of Americana sounding guitar lick that would be appropriate for an AC30. And and then you're off and running and it's ta- you're in a different mindset. You're not thinking about, I need to come up with the best guitar song ever. It's like, I need to do this one specific job. And, and lo and behold, what you get out of it is some really cool things because you're not thinking about the wrong, you're not overshadowed yeah. by like some, you know, like pressure that you're putting on yourself which is just, is just yeah. imaginary you know sometimes the best stuff just pops out randomly when you're not expecting it yeah the pressure's not there yeah so that's the fun like demoing song or i think of them as demos really like coming up with all these tracks but it's like there's hundreds and hundreds of them there now so at some point i can go through and listen to them all like when i'm i gotta make another record but it's like it's, when i sit down to do that it's like well i'll just pick 10 or 12 i think and and expand them into real songs so Cool. Yeah. Any other accessories or something? You know, I know you got to, you know, your clock is ticking for your big tour here. I know how it is. 42 hours, 41 hour. Yeah, that's true. But like, what kind of strings and cables do you use and such like that? Um, Well, the nice folks at Providence have been great with uh, cables. I'm using their cables because they've just been terrific. Uh, Actually, this whole board is Providence cables. Um, They've got their new little ends. I love those. I totally, when you first walked that in, I love those small little right angle cables. Yeah, yeah. And and straight cables. Super cool. And they sound good. And Dave Friedman likes them too. And so it was a a no-brainer because he likes them. And I work with those guys anyway. So it's like, okay, great. Let's use the Providence cables. Um, And as far as strings go, I've been an Ernie Ball guy for years. Love Ernie Ball. Yeah, they're super good to me. You know, there's a lot of great strings out there. Uh, A lot of people, manufacturers of strings are terrific. Ernie Balls are great strings. And they're also terrific people. And I love my guy there, Derek Brooks. He's been terrific to me over the years. And so they're cool. Yeah, he's so cool. He's such a good guy. So, um, uh, you know, I've never broken an Ernie Ball string that I can remember on stage. Uh, So there's that. They are terrific strings, but it's also just a people thing. I love working with those. You know, Sterling's cool. Great company. It's a great company. So it's like it's a no brainer. I love working with them. What you said you're running wireless nowadays. Right. Yeah, so I'm using a combination of different things. I just got one of the Line 6 wirelesses, actually, the uh, G70, I believe. So I've been trying that out, uh, which is like a pedalboard-based wireless. Yeah. And, and it's really terrific. And for many years, I've also used an AKG Digital. Um, that's, you know, been right. terrific and flawless and works great all over the world for me. So that works really good. Other accessories, I don't know. I use Dunlop picks. Generally, the Ultex 73s yeah. are, are what I've been using. Um, yeah. What about these? Uh, you got a couple extra pedals there. I mean, you mentioned the Boss Tuner. Oh, I've, so I've got on this board. I got a TU three right now, and I'm I'm cool with using this. I'm cool with using a Polytune too. I love the TC Polytune, and right. so they're both good. You know, great tuners. I'm not 
overly picky about it. that's another thing like people were talking about the minutia of tuners in some <laughs> thread i was reading the other day and it's like you know what like a lot of people were saying i've used a tu2 for 15 years and nobody complains i'm out of tune at my gigs <laughs> <laughs> so, it must you know, yeah it must be the best one yeah exactly they're they're, they're all good that's this tu2 has a buffer on it i think and yeah you're so double buffered this is a tu3 in here and it's got so it's buffered but the, it's actually hitting a buffer uh before that in the in the the friedman box has a uh, sort of a pete cornish style buffer i think in it so it's um it's already buffered by the time it hits that in theory it shouldn't matter beyond that you know interesting and then what are those other three pedals so i've got a keely gc2 uh limiter which is just a terrific little pedal that they basically designed around a 160 dbx 160 i think so it's supposed to be like that in a pedal and it's um I'll just actually show you real quick like i've got it on on this sound if i turn it off back on once again this is off and on i just i get addicted to like compression on cleans because it makes everything easy (laughs) yeah (laughs) sounds fantastic it's a it's a a good just to get totally into the minutiae for a second one thing i love about the helix is the tuner like the way it looks as a display is so beautiful it's nice for a blind guy like me oh yeah totally true yeah so how come you don't use that tuner uh, it's something about just having that mute right there. I'm used to it. Like having right. a separate it's mute on the board with that. But it's just, you know, it's one of those things that I'm just used to using. It's, I like having a separate t- pedal tuner. I don't know, like a thing I've grown used to. I, I mean, there's great compressors in the Helix too, but that's another thing where it's like, well, I love just having the pedal there that I can tweak on the fly and stuff super easy. So I just did that. And then the other pedals are basically, um, so I've got a... This is, this is an Archer pedal from... Let me turn off some of the effects here. It's an Archer pedal from Rocket, so it's like a Klon style. Just that good kind of like Klon, thick mid-range kind of overdrive. Cool. And I tend to use that in front of my... This channel, the lead channel in my amp. For that, awesome. you know, it just it'll sustain forever. Just big, fat, thick mids with that pedal. It's great. And then uh, yeah. the uh, let me go back to the clean channel here. I love that you're just oh. calling them in with the helix, so you don't actually have to go over and stomp on them. Oh yeah, yeah, no. So yeah, I've got them all uh, in the loops on the helix. So I've got all three here. Uh, so that's a, a terrific thing about this. one of the things that sets helix apart from uh, a lot of other devices is that they put effects loops in it, which for the first time in uh, you know kind of a, a unit's got multiple loops, much like a okay. The, the last thing they did this was a TCG system, and I actually used that for a long time on the road with Cornell and stuff. I had a G system. But, uh, and then the, the other pedal I've got here is a Starlight Fuzz uh, from uh, Crazy Tube Circuits. And they sort of designed this to be the fuzz pedal for people that don't like fuzz pedals. So into a straight clean. It's 
it's, it's a fuzz, but it has a lot in common with a distortion. Um, but when you get the fuzz up kind of high on it. It's unmistakably a fuzz, you know. Sort of like a, uh, like a distortion that morphs into a fuzz. And if I drop the gain a little bit and then hit the lead channel. It'll work beautifully for that thick, you know. Kind of a thick, sustainy, you know. I love that sustain. Yeah, man. For days. Yeah. So I just kind of put it on there as a fun, you know, it's a fun fuzz. Oh, the, the other thing about it is that it works on a board with a buffer. And ah, right, right, yeah. Have you ever messed with like fuzz faces on boards with buffers where you're like, uh, this sounds terrible? <laughs> yeah, it's, you gotta have it before the buffer. Yeah, you gotta have it before the buffer, but you're screwed if you use a wireless. Yeah. Right? So it's like, cause you're buffered right out of the gate with a wireless. So it's like, you can never, so I always look for like a fuzz for my pedal boards that kind of works with buffers cause it's, yeah. you know. That's, yeah, there's just been an explosion of fuzz pedals in the last few years. Yeah, for sure. How yeah. do you use your Eventide? The H, what are those H9s? You know what? I actually, I don't have it patched right now. And oh, okay. the only reason was because I just didn't have time to get that together with the mono setup that I've got. It's configured in stereo right uh -huh. now. And so it's like, but uh, I did have it set up the other day and was doing some things with it at home. My main thinking with using the H9, I love the H9. My main thinking with it is that I'll use it for spillover when I'm changing sounds because Helix right now doesn't do spillover delay and reverb when you change from preset to preset. So I thought, all right, I'll put the H9 on there and it'll do spillover. Well, little did I know the H9 actually doesn't do spillover. <laughs> so what right. I came up with was a uh, uh, an alternative sort of way of doing it where the Helix is sending out a MIDI CC message to bypass the H9 when I change from a sound that has the H9 on to a sound where I don't want... Does this, is this making sense? So it'll bypass the H9 when I go back to a rhythm sound. But because it's only bypassing and not changing presets, the delay spills over. So I was like, all right, that's, awesome. that's pretty hardcore. Work around. That's one of those things you think, oh, spillover is no big deal. Right. And then when you have it on, it's like, wait, I, I missed that. Yeah, it's great. I love it when it... Oh, this amp is... Sorry. I yeah. keep thinking my guitar's off because there's a really clean noise gate on it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't have that. It you keeps can surprising mine me. Yeah. Mine's definitely making noise. Well, I should mention the other cool thing I got going here is a, a delay on, uh, on expression pedal. That's a big thing I love to do. So that when you're playing like... You can just roll yeah. it in if you want to, you know? Or turn it off. Yeah. Blend it in at any level you want. Do you use it for wah, too, or...? Uh, I believe I do have a wah set up on and this sound. I just Let me uh, get out of here and go. I just did these sounds yesterday, but... Yeah. Yeah, so I've got the throaty wah in this thing yeah. set up right now. It's a pretty awesome sounding wah, actually. The the throaty one was modeled after McCoy wah, I think, Clyde McCoy or something. And, Very uh, cool. Yeah, it just has a really... Dude, I mean, I we're not even that. playing to loud me, right now. That's that. like the singing of the angels right there. <laughs> that kind of feedback. Right? Yeah. 
it's it, we're not even playing loud. It's like I really, know. it's like talking volume. And you know, I got to tell you, I, I did a P- Andy Wood podcast. Oh God, Andy's met, such a burner. Great player. We met at Sir headquarters because he's a oh, well, cool. Sir artist. Yeah. And he just plugged into basically the first amp that he came across, which is a PT100, the Pete oh, Thorne model. Right. Your signature head. And and just like you said, we and no pedals or anything. We were getting, he was getting complete sustain, just hold the note forever. Yeah. At talking volume, like at right now. At talking volume, yeah. yeah. It's crazy. Well, if I, I've actually got on a pedal right now, but I'm going to turn it off. I'm going to turn off everything. And then, so this is the, that's the overdrive channel on my amp. But the amp has a built-in boost. If I turn that on... That's crazy. We can talk right over it. <laughs> I love it, dude. It's fun, right? You're in heaven over there. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, cool, man. I mean, you've been so generous with your time. I don't know. We could go all day, but have we covered everything? I don't else? know. I hope. I hope I didn't say anything stupid. No, I mean you've. Been, I mean, we could. We can't. It's hard to get to everything. You play with <laughs> Jewel. You work with Courtney Love. Oh man, it's all kinds of stories there. <laughs> I bet you write. Did you you wrote a couple songs? What's what's a good song example? Uh, I wrote two songs on the last whole record that ended up on the last whole record. Co-wrote, I should yeah, say. Yeah, co-wrote. They were definitely co-writes with. with uh, but um, there was this song called Samantha, uh, and God, I can't remember which other one ended up on the record. I think it was. Uh, oh God, I'm not gonna be. I'm not gonna remember the title right now because it's been a while since I've thought about this. But basically, Courtney and I got together around. Uh, it would be 2006. I can't believe it's been that long. But um, we we got together and started working on a bunch of stuff. She'd been through a rough time. She'd just been through rehab and was right out of the other end of that. And was so like newly sober and stuff. And um, wanted to you know start working on some songs on some music. She was really into like Dylan at the time. Was really into sort of singer songwriter. You know that that. Yeah that type of thing and she was writing these really cool songs and it was like we got together and i uh i was going through an interesting period in my life too where i'd just come out of a crappy relationship or whatever so i was like single and kind of drifting and didn't know what i was doing with myself i ended up getting together with her and just writing a bunch of songs rehearsing a bunch of songs and she introduced me to linda perry uh a great you know producer and songwriter and Linda and I became friends, and we ended up making a whole record for Courtney that ended up never coming out. So, um, which was a, a drag because it was really good and great songs. Uh, anybody that heard it was like, "Wow, she's like really singing and really delivering, and the songs are interesting, and it's really great." Not, you know, I I liked Hole and stuff, but it was like that thing was that hard rock. Here was Courtney like stripped down, acoustic, way more singer songwriter kind of stuff, and it was really cool. It was like a really really terrific record. So it's it's unfortunate that it never came out, but she just decided, I think maybe that she wanted to go back and do the rock thing more than than do that thing eventually. So she took some of those tunes, put them out on a record that became a whole record basically. And that's how some of my songs ended up on that record. But, um, unfortunately the album never came out though. I wish people would hear it. I know Chad Blake did a mix of it 
And um, I would love to hear that because I've never heard that mix. Uh, maybe someday and, it'll come out. Yeah, I hope so. You know, I think, God, I mean, why not? You know, it's so good. It's like um, Billy Corgan worked on it and uh, it was really a fun time. God, I had fun making that record. I remember Rick Nielsen came in the studio one day because Billy and him were friends. Yeah. And he came in and played on on a tune that, that you know, didn't we didn't end up using for the record. But um it was so cool. It was just like hanging out with, we were writing a new, a new track. So I was sitting there like with Linda and Courtney and Billy and Rick Nielsen and me. And I think maybe Nate, the drummer at the time uh, he was, he was there, uh, Nate Weatherington. And I thought, this is cool right now. <laughs> working with all these great people, you know, it was a really cool period. It was fun. That's wonderful, man. Well, yeah. congratulations to all of your astounding work and success that you've been doing as a guitar player and thanks man well thank and thanks for having me and i'm a big yeah. i, I want to say i'm a big admirer of yours and fan of yours too and i know wow. you do a lot thanks. i mean you're at git for a long time and now you're out i've seen you've kind of transitioned into playing more in the past few years like with doing kind of what i've done like touring and stuff like that right and you're just a fantastic guitar player so it's like Thanks, it's, man. no you really are i mean you're kind of a i mean i've got a real admiration for your skill on the guitar and uh, it, it totally, you're a super nice guy too. So it makes sense that you're out doing it and playing with, you know, touring and stuff like that. And it's great to see you hey, doing man. that, you know? So. It's like Guthrie Govan said, like, if you can do something besides play guitar, you probably should. <laughs> but if you're cursed with only, that's the only thing you want to do, then maybe you can be a lifer. That's a great way to, to put it, isn't it? It's like, it has to own you. A lot of people ask me, how can I make inroads into sessions or inroads into, you know, doing what you do? And I go, well, first of all, you got to like, it has to own you. Like you can't sort of just think you want to do it. It's like, you got to have no other option. Like, I don't know what else I would do with myself, you know? There it is, man. Yeah. I yeah. agree. Well, let's take it out in some so. little jam or something. Okay. Let's figure out something. Different. Okay. Anything you wanted to play or? Uh, I don't know. Let's just come up with a cool groove uh, over something. Mm -hmm. If you, you know. I think nothing. I started the last one. Why don't you start something? <laughs> Let me see. Uh. Maybe we can do something in like E since we played in A. E is a good key.
thank you, Pete Thorne, for sitting down with us. You are a super inspiring cat and a super badass player. God damn! Anyway, making me want to curse. What can I say? Great player. Thanks to Helix and Line 6 for making this whole episode happen. I really appreciate that. And I always like to thank Guitar Player Magazine and GuitarPlayer.com as well, because they were the first supporters of my little podcast here that is growing every week. Thank you all. Say hi to No Guitar is Safe Facebook page, or you can see me on Twitter, Jude underscore gold. Same with Instagram. All that stuff. I'd like to give a shout out to Zoom too because I use their Zoom H6 recorder to record this. Hope you guys are doing great. Remember what Joe Satriani said in the first episode. Keep it alive until you're at least 95.